So uh, Susan is passing around a cheat sheet for you guys of sorts. Uh, some of you know that um, when I can, <clears throat> I'll try and just do a little outline that you guys can kind of follow along with. And there's a bunch of blanks that if you guys want to fill in some answers and some vocabulary, you can. I mostly try and do it for the kids. But for any of you adults who are a kid in spirit, feel free to fill in some blanks. Uh, and you'll notice that I left all the scripture references off so you guys are forced to still listen and follow along. You can't just work ahead and flip through your Bible and get to the passages in advance. So, anyway, uh, this morning, we are looking at the branch. And this may be a term that you guys are familiar with. It may not be. But our launching passage will be in Isaiah chapter 11. And you can go ahead and navigate there to Isaiah chapter 11. And we're going to look at verses 1 and 10, which are kind of bookends for a moment. And then we'll come back to the meat in the middle a little bit later at the end of our passage. And what I'm hoping to reveal this morning, this idea of a branch or a shoot from Jesse could go a lot of different ways. Michael and I have been talking a little bit and comparing some notes about uh, what I've been finding about the branch, what he has been seeing about a baby, and, and more specifically about the city of Bethlehem. And this message series for the next three weeks, I believe, is one of those things that you don't think that there's much there. And then when you start to get into scripture and you start to really investigate where these terms are used in the history, all of a sudden God just opens up all of this stuff and now you're plagued with this decision. Where do I go with this and what direction do I take? I've got to pick something to kind of follow along with because we don't have five hours together, right? And so I think you're kind of experiencing that a little bit, Michael, is as he looks at uh, the history of Bethlehem. He was thinking, well, there might not be a whole lot there, but he'll do his best. And as he's getting into it, there's all kinds of ways he can probably go with that. So the same is true this morning. It's an agrarian uh, term or reference of sorts. And so there's lots of different analogies and ways we could take this. But I want to take it in one way in particular. And that is to look at how the root of Jesse, the branch of the stump of Jesse, refers to a Messiah and a redemption for both Israel and a Messiah and redemption for us as Gentiles. All right, Those are the kind of two primary focuses we're going to have this morning. So the front of your sheet should refer to predominantly the branch as a redeemer for Israel. And the back of your sheet should predominantly refer to the branch as a redeemer for us as Gentiles. And we're going to kind of split it even to Old and New Testament a little bit. So open up to Isaiah chapter 11, if you would, and look at verse 1, and you might even have them at the top of your sheet. I don't recall what all I edited from the outline there, but um, verse 11 says this, Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. Flip to verse 10. Then it will come about in that day, that the nations will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for the peoples, and his resting place will be glorious. And so what we have in chapter 11 here for just a moment, is kind of an early reference that's obviously for the nations of Israel and Judah, the divided kingdom. And I'm going to use Israel synonymously this morning. Uh, oftentimes Isaiah is writing uh, to the divided kingdom, 
And he's referring to the prophecies relating to Judah, and he's often referring to the prophecies that relate to Israel. And this morning, for the purposes of our conversation, I'm just going to use Israel as a whole. Does that make sense? And we see in verse 10, it's a reference to the nations. So we see a Gentile reference there. But let's look at the Israel uh, reference first. Turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 5. So a few chapters earlier. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7 for a moment. God shared with Isaiah this prophecy, and he used the metaphor of a vineyard to refer to Israel and his people. And look at what he says. He says, Let me sing now for my well-beloved, a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill, and he dug it all around, removed its stones, and planted it with the choicest vine. And he built a tower in the middle of it, and he hewed out a wine vat in it. Then he expected it to produce good grapes, but, but it produced only worthless ones. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why, then, I expected it to produce grapes, good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? So now, let me tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it will be consumed. I will break down its wall, and it will become trampled ground. And I will lay it waste. It will not be pruned or hoed, but briars and thorns will come up. I will also charge the clouds to rain no rain on it, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his delightful plant. Thus he looked for justice. He looked for justice, but behold found only bloodshed, and he looked for righteousness, but beheld only a cry of distress. And so what we see here, and you're going to kind of go, where are you going with this? I jumped back there for a moment because Isaiah has shared that God has prepared a perfect environment for his people. God has intended that Israel would be this perfect light to the nations, that they would walk upright, they would act justly, and operate in righteousness, but he says they didn't. Even in the perfect preparation, the results were not what he had planned or expected for his people, right? And as a result, he's going to withdraw some of his protective measures, and he's going to allow for them to experience some judgment. And if you know the story of Israel's history... And Judah, you know that what ends up happening shortly after Isaiah's prophesying to God's people is that the Assyrians come in and conquer them, and then the Babylonians come in, and eventually Persia comes in, and King Cyrus ends up allowing them to go back home and worship. But you have this period where God's people are extremely oppressed and even taken captive by these other nations, because God has chosen for a moment to take off his protective hand. So God had an expectation. Just look at everything he said. He established this vineyard on a fertile hill. 
He removed all the stones that would prevent the roots from taking hold. He planted the very best vine to produce fruit. He set a tower in the middle for watching over and protecting and cultivating. He built a wine vat in anticipation of the fruit that would be yielded. And yet there were just worthless grapes. But then he says, go ahead, judge. Judge between me and my vineyard. Am I not right in having these expectations, he asks? It says that he sought justice, but found only bloodshed. He sought righteousness, but found only cries of distress. And what's going to be interesting is as we look at the references to the branch of Jesse, we're going to see oftentimes that it is coupled with justice and righteousness. It's really interesting. And so if you flip through, we're going to go back forward to chapter 9 for a moment. I shared that God is going to allow for some oppression to occur for his people. But in chapter 9, let's start with chapter 8, verse 22 for a moment. You guys know this. Then they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be driven away into darkness. Verse 1 of chapter 9. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish in earlier times. He treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And then jump down to verse 7, chapter 9. How about verse 6? For a child will be born to us. Does this sound familiar? A son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. And he says that the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. In other words, even though God, for a period of time, will allow for his people to experience some oppression, he has not forgotten about them. He promises a prince of peace. He promises that this prince of peace whom he will send will come and he will ultimately reign with justice and righteousness. This branch of David, this branch of Jesse that he has promised, will rule with justice and righteousness. And he says, it's not going to be of, the, of man's doing. It's not going to be by man's efforts. It's not going to be because Israel has become, become some great, awesome example of God, but rather because... God's zeal. I was thinking about this for a moment. I was thinking about this gentleman that we uh, knew many, many years ago in our, um, our homeless ministry downtown that we don't do as much with now. But his name was Fred Huffman. And Fred was homeless. And for a time, he was comfortable being homeless. And he started to come around pretty regularly. He started to show some 
some abilities to help us with sound stuff and some behind-the-scenes stuff with our ministry and showed some promise, and he became pretty regular and dedicated. And we said, you know what? You're valuable to us. We appreciate what you're able to contribute. Would you mind if we got you an apartment downtown? We will pay for it. We'll set you up completely so that you can be regular with us, so that you can have some stability and kind of get a launching point to putting your life back together. He said, okay. So we got this apartment for him. We set them all up completely. Perfect, right? He's got some furnishings. He stayed there two nights and never went back. And his shame kept him from coming and seeing us again regularly as we were gathering. And it wasn't for a couple of months that we finally caught back up with him and my point in saying this is we had already committed to that bill. We had already committed to doing that for him because that was something that we wanted to do. And it was his choice. It was his choice to go to his old life back on the streets because he felt that that was more comfortable. That was what was familiar to him. And my point in saying all this is that when he came back, we didn't care. We said, come on in. And we just welcomed him with big open arms. And we said, it doesn't matter. It's water under the bridge. It's your choice. If that's kind of how you want to live, that's fine. And I think that in a way, we, we see what God is doing and we say, God, you allowed all of this to happen, but he has not forgotten his people. He doesn't forget while they're in captivity that they're still his people. And he still promises to send the Prince of Peace. He still promises to redeem them. He still promises that a branch of Jesse will ultimately rule in King David's throne. And his kingdom will be forever and it will have no end. God doesn't forget. And it's his zeal that will accomplish that. Jump forward now for a moment to Jeremiah chapter 23. Keep your finger on Isaiah 11, or a bookmark, or a scrap piece of paper, or rip a corner off of something, and, and keep your finger over there. We're going to go to Isaiah, or I mean Jeremiah chapter 23 for a moment. Good verses 1 through 7 for a moment. He says, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who are tending my people, you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not attended to them. Behold, I am about to attend to you for the evil of your deeds, declares the Lord. Then I myself shall gather the remnants of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and shall bring them back to their pasture and they will be fruitful and multiply. I shall also raise up shepherds over them, and they will tend them, and they will not be afraid any longer, nor be terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I shall raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely, and watch this, and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord 
our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they will no longer say, as the Lord lives, who brought up the sons of Israel from the land of Egypt. So Jeremiah comes back to this promise, the promise of a Messiah, the promise of a Messiah to deliver and redeem the nation of Israel who will reign in justice and righteousness. And did you catch Jeremiah's prophecy where he was sharing with Israel about Israel's shepherds? Anybody remember a few years ago when we went through the seven I am's of Jesus? One of our messages during that series was when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And one of the things that we highlighted in that message was that Jesus was basically uh, indicting the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his day. And he was likely calling them out for leading God's people astray and using passages and using Old Testament references that they would have known very, very well And he was revealing to them that they were shepherds leading God's people astray. But he says, I am the good shepherd. I am the Messiah that God has promised to redeem God's people. Quite an indictment, huh? I mean, we we saw that Jesus loved everyone and for the most part dealt very gently with everyone except when it came to the Pharisees and the religious leaders. He had some pretty... Strong statements, didn't he? I think Michael mentioned last week as whitewashed tombs or sepulchers. But did you see where Jeremiah reminds us that Jesus, the branch of David, the branch of Jesse, is going to rule with justice and righteousness. And in his day, Judah and Israel will be saved. Now flip again to Jeremiah chapter 2. 33. Look at verses 14 through 16. Jeremiah chapter 33, verses 14 through 16. Jeremiah says, Behold... Days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good word which I have spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch of David to spring forth, and he shall execute, what? Justice and righteousness on the earth. In those days, at that time, I will cause a righteous branch of David to spring forth, and he shall execute justice and righteousness on the earth. In those days, Judah shall be saved, and Jerusalem shall dwell in safety. See that pattern again? Jeremiah has repeated God's promise for David's throne to rule forever and ever. Israel and Judah will be saved. And the branch of David will rule in justice and righteousness. Now, we're going to go back again. You can go backwards in your Bible for a moment. We're going to go to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53.
It's a long passage, but we won't go all the way through this. Did anybody happen to notice on your way in the stump that's just right outside our door? Maybe if you didn't notice it, look at it on your way out this morning. It's an old tree stump, and it's probably eight inches out of grade. But there's something kind of interesting. It's got about six or seven holes drilled into the top of it. And I don't know if you are familiar with what's going on there, but somebody has come along and drilled holes because that's part of the process of killing a stump at its core to its root. Because if you don't, if you truly want that gone, and you don't drill it out and sometimes put uh, chemicals in there, to actively kill it at its core, it will spring back again. It will sprout up again. Anybody ever been a part of that? Anybody been in your yard where you've cut something down and a few years later you see these shoots coming up? You're like, I cut that down to its core two years ago and yet there's this branch sprouting up. What is it? Is it a rhizome? Is that what those are? That, yeah, like bamboo. Bamboo is considered a rhizome. And what that means is that it has an entire network of life under the surface. You may see a shoot coming up right here, cut it off, pull it out of the ground, but it's got a whole network of roots underneath. And then it pops over here, pops up over here. It's kind of like playing whack-a-boo. Well, that might mean the wrong thing. Uh, Whack-bamboo, like whack-a-mole. What God is saying in this reference to the patriarch Jesse and to his son David is that the stump of Jesse, though it has been cut off, will still produce a branch, a tender shoot in which David's family, his lineage, and the Messiah will ultimately come. No matter how many times that thing gets chopped off, no matter how much oppression God's people seek, or not seek, experience, God is going to produce a tender shoot, a root, a branch, out of this stump that seemingly was dead. And this branch will be the branch that saves all of God's people and ultimately saves Gentiles like you and me. But first, in chapter 53... We have a little bit of a sad story for a moment. Remember that we said we're looking at the branch as it relates to God's people Israel first. And Isaiah says in verse 1, Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty, that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we hid and we did not esteem him. So Isaiah is reaching out and he's calling out to God's people. 
And he's saying, who has believed this message? And did you notice that this is in past tense? Isaiah is prophesying the time when Israel, when God's people, will reject the Messiah that he has sent. And Isaiah gives us a pattern here and a fabric for why God's people ultimately reject the Messiah that God sends to them. He doesn't come with majesty. This Christmas season, he comes as a little tiny babe in a manger. Not in a king's palace. He grows up the son of a carpenter. And as far as we know, he wasn't some super handsome, beautiful man like David's sons. He didn't get his hair caught in a tree in vanity. He didn't look like a king was supposed to look for Israel. And they rejected him. They despised him. He didn't fit the mold. Who has believed our message? Isaiah asks. But did you see verse 2? It says that the Messiah grew up like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. A tender shoot from a root out of parched ground. I can't get grass to grow in our yard, but it'll grow in the cracks of the sidewalk. I mean, what gives? And just just think about this imagery that Isaiah is giving for us, this word picture, this little tiny tender shoot that is popping up out of parched, scorched ground, this barren Israel that, for all intents and purposes, has no life left to it, and yet Jesus comes through the crack in the sidewalk, and he becomes the Messiah who will redeem this people that just seem utterly parched. I mean, remember the movie Wally? Remember Wally finding that just little tiny green plant, that little tender shoot? That tender shoot becomes the Messiah of the world. You know, when he comes, he comes at a time when the shepherds of Israel weren't doing their job, they were oppressing the people. The Romans had a heavy hand on Israel. God had been silent for 400 years. He had not spoken to his people for 400 years. That's the parched ground we're talking about. And this little tiny shoot comes up, and he doesn't look like a big magnificent oak or the cedars of Lebanon. He looks like this weak little thing, and he was despised by his own people. And yet God promised that that would be the Savior of the world. Now, flip your sheet over. We see that this branch of David is obviously a Messiah who will reign with justice and righteousness for the nation of Israel. But we're also going to see 
that he's for the Gentiles as well. Now, this is going to be a blurry transition for a moment. Israel has rejected. Let's look at Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 3, and I'm going to kind of use this as a transition. Yes, Zechariah is in the Old Testament. And yes, Zechariah is in predominantly a Jewish prophecy. But I think there's some evidence there that we can softly transition to you and I. Zechariah chapter 3, verses 8 and 10, 8 through 10. He says, Now listen, Joshua, the high priest. Joshua was the high priest at the time. You and your friends who are sitting in front of you, indeed, they are men who are a symbol for, behold, I am going to bring in my servant, who? The branch. He tells Joshua the priest at the time, who's sitting, interceding for God's people, there will come a time where I am going to bring in my servant, God's servant, and he refers to him as the branch. For behold, the stone that I have set before Joshua, on one stone are seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave an inscription on it, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and under his fig tree. I do believe that is a literal reference to um, having some rejuvenation, having some rest. But isn't there an interesting reference that we have later on to a vine? Remember our I Am series? And Jesus said, I am the vine. And he was likely transitioning between the upper room that night of the Last Supper He's making his way down through the Kidron Valley, and he's walking through a vineyard, and he probably pauses for a moment and says, I'm going to use this as a teaching opportunity with my disciples. They're all walking together, and they're on their way up to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he pauses for a moment, and he gives them this illustration where he says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Remain in me. And remember the purpose that God had said for the vine is for fruit. Remember why God was displeased with Israel? He had set it up perfectly and it didn't produce any good fruit. It produced only worthless fruit. And Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, you will produce good fruit. And so here in Zechariah, we have a loose reference to vine and fig tree, but we have a, another reference to this branch that will come and sit on the throne. Go a few steps forward to Zechariah chapter 6. Zechariah chapter 6, verse 11 through 15. Zechariah says, and take silver and gold, make an ornate crown, and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, who is the high priest. Then say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, behold, a man whose name is Branch, for he will branch out from where he is, and he will build the temple of the Lord. 
Yes, it is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he who will bear the honor and sit and rule on his throne. Thus he will be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace will be between the two offices. Now the crown will become a reminder in the temple of the Lord. And then we'll jump down to verse 15. And those who are far off will come and build the temple of the Lord. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Okay. Kind of some obscure references. But what is being revealed here, ultimately, is that the branch that God will send will now combine these two offices. I thought I had a reference to uh, Zerubbabel in here. Zerubbabel was probably the governor at the time. He sat in the office of the ruler, and Joshua sat in the office of the priest. And the reference here is that those two offices will become one under the Messiah. Michael might share that, and I won't steal any of his glory. He might share this idea of office, of priest and king, maybe. And Zechariah says here that when the branch comes and the branch sits on his throne, the branch will combine the office of king and ruler with the office of priest and intercessor. And he will become our great intercessor. And he will become our king of kings. And there won't be a distinction between the two as Israel had. He will be one. And so this is our blurry transition, I'll say, to the Gentile redemption. Now, jump into your New Testament for a moment. We'll go to Romans chapter 15. And as a preview, we'll go to Romans chapter 15, and then we're going to go back to Romans 11, and then ultimately Revelation. So Romans chapter 15. Paul is going to quote Isaiah. He's going to quote the passage that we opened up with this morning. Um, Look at verse 7. Paul says to his predominantly... Jewish audience with some mixed-in Gentiles. Wherefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers. And, this is where we come in, and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Therefore, this is what God said, I will give praise to thee among the Gentiles, and I will sing to thy name. And again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. And again, Isaiah says, there shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles. 
in him shall the Gentiles hope. In him shall the Gentiles hope. Paul himself reminds his audience, his Roman audience, that the Messiah has come not just for the Jewish culture, but for Gentiles also. Praise Jesus. And he says, the Gentiles' hope is in him. Our hope is that we will see future glorification. That we will be with him for eternity. That he has made us heirs of the kingdom. That we were once outsiders, not considered God's people, and we have been, what we say, grafted in, which we'll look at here in a minute. What a great promise. What a great hope to have this Christmas season that we were once outsiders and we are now included in God's kingdom. Amen. Remember what we saw when we were in quarantine and Michael took us through uh, 1 Peter? Peter said, be ready to give an answer and an explanation for the hope that you have. Right? And there's many different applications for that. But when people see the joy on our faces at Christmas time, it's not because we're ready to give gifts and receive gifts. It's because we have this hope that we are now going to be with him for eternity. And that is not anything that can be taken away from us. Now, I said we'd go backwards for a moment. Go back to Romans chapter 11. And we're getting close to the end here. We're almost done. Romans chapter 11. Look at verse 16. I mentioned this idea of grafting. Some of you probably know what we mean by grafting. We'll come back to that for a second. And I'm going to have you do something for us in a minute. If you look at the, uh, the presentations, we have one in there titled The Branch. I'll let you know, and you can slide to the next slide in a second. Look at verse, uh, what did I say, 16? 16 through 24. Paul says this, and if the first piece of dough be holy, then the lump is also. We just made some cookies last night. You know, if you, if you, why are you laughing? <laughs> Sorry, I got sidetracked. We, 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 I am. I can't eat them yet. They're just sitting out on a cookie sheet and they haven't been decorated yet, so I'm not allowed to touch them. You guys know. If you take a little bit of food coloring and just put a little bit of food coloring in the dough, what happens? The whole batch starts to get tinted, right? You, you can't separate it. You can't, can't add a little bit of food coloring to, to the lump and, and have the, the whole lump not be tainted, okay? That's what he says. If the lump is holy, then a piece of dough is as well. He says, so also the root. If the root is holy, then the branches are holy too. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, being a wild olive, were grafted in. Now, remember that what Paul has done in the fabric of his letter here is that he has talked all about the sanctification, the justification, and the glorification that we have in Christ Jesus, right? But he takes a moment, when we moved through Romans, we saw this. He takes a moment to stop, and he says, Remember, Israel, God has not forgotten about you. He has preserved a remnant. And even though the gospel has been made available to Gentiles, he has not forgotten about Israel, his people. He didn't forget about them in Isaiah's time, in Jeremiah's time, in Zechariah's time. 
And he hasn't forgotten about you now. Yes, you rejected the one he sent, but he will preserve a remnant. Okay? And so what he's saying here is he's saying that branches like you and I, Gentiles, have been grafted into the body of Christ. We were what was called a wild olive tree at one time, uncultivated, unplanted, unpruned, preserved. We were just wild out there. We've been grafted in among them and became partaker with them in the rich root of the olive tree. Verse 18, do not be arrogant toward the branches, but if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. And you will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. And he says, quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief, but you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, Israel, neither will he spare you. And behold then, the kindness and severity of God to those who fell, severity but to you, God's kindness. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you will be cut off. In verses 23 and 24, And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. And then lastly, For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more shall these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? All right. Alfredo, would you mind... Look at that slide. I've tried to find the most um, basic kind of iconic illustration that I could for a process of grafting. Grafting looks many different ways. Oftentimes you will see a tree trunk that comes up part way, and you will see another tree trunk just put right on top of it, and you'll see the, the, the tape, you know, to kind of put them together. You will see a grafting process like this, and I felt that this kind of illustrates what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that we, as Gentiles, weren't part of that trunk originally. We weren't part of that tree. We weren't part of the cultivated olive tree that Paul says, which is God's people Israel. But because the branch of Jesse, as Isaiah said in 11.10, has come for all the nations, God has chosen to graft us as a branch that came from a wild olive tree over there, way on the right somewhere, and he is putting us in to his people, and we get, now get to be considered his people. Amen. And if that trunk is holy, guess what happens to this grafted in branch? If that trunk is holy, the branches are now holy. Amen. What a great promise. Yes. How holy are you in Christ Jesus? Right now. Exactly. <laughs> Do I look holy? I probably don't look holy. But positionally for eternity, I'm as holy as Christ Jesus is. And what we walk in right now, this side of heaven, is just the difference between our status and our behavior. That's it. That's it. And what we try to do through the power of the Holy Spirit is to make our behavior match our status in Him. Make our behavior match our holy status. Now, 
Last two passages, and we'll go through these quickly. Turn to Revelation. Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. It says, And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. What? Five. Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. The root of David has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. You see, John was weeping greatly because there wasn't anybody qualified to open the book of the seals. But the one who was qualified was the root of David. You know, I'll say this loosely. The book of the seven seals and the activity that exists therein, uh, we might say is God's execution of justice and righteousness. Remember those terms that kept getting coupled with the branch of Jesse? That the branch of Jesse will rule in justice and righteousness? You know, the seals are part of God's execution of righteousness and justice. Now, flip to chapter 22. I call this, I call this Jesus' microphone drop. Right here, okay? Chapter 22, verse 16. Well, look at, look at 12 through 13 first, and then we'll jump to 16. Verse 12 of chapter 22. Jesus says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes. Well, we'll stop there, and then we'll jump to verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches, and that is that I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. Bam. Boom. Bam. Right? Yeah. As God is concluding his word, his cover-to-cover revelation to us, Jesus himself speaks and says, I am the morning star, I am the root of David, the branch that has been promised since Genesis 3.15. Ever since God said, I will send a seed to redeem those who have fallen victim to sin. I said we'd come back to Isaiah chapter 11. You guys have that on your sheet there. So you don't have to navigate back. Look at verses 2 through 5 with me if you would. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. 
But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Watch this in verse 5. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Those verses 2 through 5 is what reigning and ruling and justice and righteousness look like. Israel rejected their branch, their Messiah, based on looks and worldly circumstances. And God says right here that when Jesus reigns, he does not judge with natural eyes. He does not operate by worldly standards, but he operates with the spirit of wisdom and understanding. He doesn't judge by what his eyes see or what his lips hear, but by truth. So for us, why are we celebrating a branch at Christmas time? Besides Michael said so? God brought his Messiah to us from a tender shoot. A branch that came out of a stump. God brought new life through an otherwise barren landscape of humanity. Sin, natural sin, has created a very barren landscape within the heart of humanity. And God came, Isaiah said, parched ground. God came to parched ground as a tender shoot. My heart, your heart, was a barren landscape, and God spoke new life into us. This only happens through the divine preservation of a holy seed that was promised long ago. The branch at Christmas time has come into this world to give new life and life abundant. And not to reduce this to a, a Pixar movie. But remember what happened in Wally? That little tender shoot began a new world. It began a new life in a barren landscape. This branch will rule and reign with justice and righteousness forever. Thank God we have been redeemed from our sinful... <laughs> Thank God that we have been redeemed. 